today, I'm going to tackle contaminated or toxic relationships and how to be set free and live in health in that space. Do you know that of all the things we get prayer requests for, the highest number of prayer requests comes in the category of relationships and mental health, anxiety, stress, uncertainty, uh, uh, perhaps uh, depression. It's the highest category of things that people ask us in prayer requests for. So we thought in addition to preaching about it, we'd give you an opportunity to uh, shop professionals we trust who are born again. And we have such professionals in our church. One of them is Sipe. So Sipe, won't you, won't you come on up here quick for a moment? This is Sipe. She's a professional therapist, has a practice, and um, uh, is also, of course, choir conductor, uh, worship uh, uh, vocalist, and uh, enthusiast as as a gift. I think Sipe's gift is 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 expressed through excitement and joy. Good morning. Would you would you be willing to hold on to that for a moment? You know you know about a mic. Yep. I'm joking. Uh, we also have. Um, Alan Arfelt here, who is uh, equally a professional in this space and, of course, in the corporate space. So, Alan, Ranger, come on up here. Also, both of these are qualified and registered. Okay, I think that's, yeah, would you get a whole, do you know how to turn that on? Yeah. Uh, and Alan, mostly online because they live out in the farmlands uh, of, uh, of the city. Not so far. It, well, it's farmland. I went and visited you there the other day. It's farmland. But, but, but it's beautiful farmland. Don't, don't be mistaken. Those guys are hiding lovely places in those farmlands with a wonderful pool and a thing. It was really lovely to come and have tea and coffee with you there. Uh, Alan's also been actively involved for many years at Kingfisher FM. Uh, handed that over more to your wife now, I think. No, to Michelle. Oh, to Michelle. Yeah. And, um, and Alan also does corporate... Uh, um, as, um, um, mentorship, counselling and assessments <laughs> with piles of assessments there on your desk uh, and um, uh, when, I, when I pop by. Uh, what we've done is we've asked the two of them, would they put a seminar together on the biblical view on mental health for people who are struggling with something or for people who uh, have friends and family struggling with something and you want to know what your appropriate response is on how to help and be helpful. So I thought a good question to, and it's happening next weekend, by the way. I think the details are going to come up on the screen. And we want to invite you to come and spend some time. There's sort of a cap on numbers because it's not that kind of seminar. It's an engagement kind of a conversation. But I just asked them to respond to the question, in what way is it helpful to talk to someone if you think you need it? CP? Yeah, girls first. Yeah, <laughs> girls first. Um, so I get asked that question a lot in my, in my work. Um, why do I need to see a psychologist? Why should I come here? Um, especially when it is very clear that I'm not the reason why I'm struggling with what I'm struggling with today. And my response to my patients or my clients is that um, y your pain may not be your fault, but your healing is your responsibility. So you are not the one who caused all of this that's happening today, but it is on you to unlearn. Because remember, when you were in that toxic relationship, 
when you were in that traumatic home environment, you learned some toxic coping mechanisms to get you through survival skills, which are dysfunctional. And you need to unlearn that. And so you come to professionals like myself and Alan to unlearn all of that, to tell your brain that, thank you, I love you, you've protected me thus far, but it's okay now, I'm not in danger anymore. I can take it from here. Very good. I'm just wondering if Mike would make a note for me just while I've got a mental note that we should ask Sipe to preach sometime. If you just will make a little mental note there, Alan. Yeah, I, I take a slightly different approach. I, I take a lot more responsibility on the, you know, on the individual, on you yourself. Um, and it doesn't negate anything relating to perhaps psychopathology, but we as individuals have to understand our role in everything that we do. And it's not meant in a judgmental way. It's just meant in that responsibility way that you were talking about, Sipe. And, I, and I'm glad you referred to the um, Ten Commandments because, you know, in psych psychology, they, they always talk about know thyself. And it comes from Socrates and the Greeks, you know, hey, thousands hey, of hey, years hey, ago. Hey, hey. <laughs> and, and I like, I like it. <laughs> however. You're welcome. <laughs> however, <laughs> I also like to look for biblical principles to aspire to in what it is that I do. And one of those biblical principles is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, okay? And how many of you love yourself? How many of you have allowed other people to say to you the things that you have said to yourself? So I think from my perspective, it's getting to understand yourself, getting to know yourself and getting to love yourself because how do you, you know, warts and all, get to understand your, your issues, the things that, that really do create problems for yourself are mostly around you, believe it or not. Um, and I have this thing that I say, and, and um, it's finished the sentence. Everything's always only ever about. Me. Yeah, me. And we kind of created. You don't want to say it. <laughs> But we're created like that. Every cell in our body is fighting for survival. And I think once we get to understand ourselves a little bit more, we can see or predict what it is that we're going to do in certain circumstances and uh, mitigate for that. And I think that's, that's really important. And I think for, you know, for, for us, we really love what it is that we do. When, when you've got to do what we do and what you do, George, you've really got to love what it is that you do. Um, and... It's, it's about transformation. So if you come to the seminar, you'll get head knowledge. And if you're open enough, you'll allow it to get to your heart. But it's up to you to, to make the transformation. But the support systems exist in an environment like this. So really, I, I, I like to think of it as mental wealth as opposed to mental health. Using, you know, the understanding that you have to create that mental wealth. I like that. I think that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Nicholas. Ellen, will you take the mic down with you, but give it back to us afterwards, and then, Sipe, if you would, is that okay? 
Um, I, I think the details were on the screen. You can sign up in the foyer. It's on Friday night and Saturday. Listen, guys, um, while they're not hearing this, I mean, you're, you're getting professional input free of charge. You need to, I mean, I would jump at this. In fact, I have. So I want to encourage you to do that. And the good thing about having born again people do it is that they've already filtered philosophies through scripture and what's popped out on the other side is biblically sound. I always ask myself that, you know? Is it biblically sound or is it just clever words of human origin? And we don't want to espouse clever words of human origin. We, we want the biblical application in the space of mental wealth and health to be applied in the same way that I would want the biblical principles to be applied in business, in marriage, in parenting. I'm also applying biblical principles to mental health and wealth. We'll add the two together. So I'm very grateful for the two of you. Okay, I, I therefore have a little bit less time than usual. So I'm going to jump straight in to a controversial scripture and rile you up into uh, uh, hopefully interest in the topic. So production, I'm going straight to um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, if you know 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and studied it at any time, it's been a great relief to me personally, The scripture, those chapters in the Bible. Uh, Alan, uh, thank you. I know you're slipping out quietly, but it's noticeable. Alan has another responsibility has another responsibility with family uh, relating to the laying to rest of ashes. And he asked if you could please slip out. And pastors always point it out when you do something like that. So, Alan, uh, we're thinking of you and your family there. Um, I, I love this passage of Scripture because it's got a mixture of Paul responding to questions. It's got a mix. It's that one that says, you know, uh, you know, if you burn with lust, just marry. It's the one that says maybe it's better not to marry. I mean, it's all the controversial stuff thrown into one passage. And you know what's amazing? I won't be able to deal with it all this week. You will be invited next week to, to some of it. The First Corinthians 7 verse 13 says, And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not Divorce him. Okay. That was awkward. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. You're so quiet. And the unbelieving wife, just in case you thought this worked only one way, <laughs> some husbands in here are like, Phew. I thought my powers were diminished. But the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, her children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. How hectic is that passage of Scripture? It's hectic because I think we sometimes assume that the Bible only has little cliched catchphrases. Do not be unequally yoked together. There's lovely catchphrases. And there are excellent terms and guidance and commands. But the Bible is so deep that we could, there isn't a situation you could present in your life in the modern era or any other era that the Bible hasn't covered. There isn't a situation you could present. The reason why I start with this controversial scripture 
And really, time doesn't permit me to unpack it fully. Oh, I'd really love to sometime. The reason why I want to start here is that this deals with the spiritual climate or atmosphere in your home. And it says that the believer brings a stronger atmosphere into the home than the unbeliever. And if the unbeliever is willing to live in the climate created by the believer, then that marriage should carry on. Wow, that's a capable moment. Yes, I believe so. Let me tell you why. I've got this huge problem. It's a personal frustration that people seem to think that the moment there's something not yet 100% under God, unbelieving, then somehow that spirit is more dominant than the believer's spirit. So that in some kind of way, if something evil is done somewhere in the world, then the believer suffers. Or in some kind of way, if governments aren't doing what they're supposed to do, then the believer is oppressed. Or if some kind of way in a marriage, there is an unbeliever who doesn't understand the faith, then the believer suffers. But the Bible says as long as there is agreement, I'm willing to cope with this, then the Bible says that the spirit in the believer is greater than the spirit in the world, for greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And God is able to sanctify. In other words, your salvation is big enough to permeate the atmosphere of your world, not the other way around. The darkness does not overcome the light. Light overcomes darkness. And in fact, the Bible says darkness flees from it. So our responsibility is to own the authority of Scripture so much that we change the atmosphere or climate of our environment. Without the church, South Africa is in trouble. Without the church, the world is in trouble. Without a believer in the home, the home is in trouble. But I can tell you that if there is a believer in the home, there is hope for a dawn, a revival, an awakening, a coming together, a restoring. Then there is hope. We keep chasing people away uh, uh, from the light and we should stop doing that. If one of you are saved or gets saved, now please, can I just ask the single people, please take it from me, please. This does not mean Go and find an unbeliever who is willing to live with you. Are you willing to live with me? Yes, I'm willing to live with Good, our children shall be holy. This is for the person. <laughs> you know, I don't know who I got here, you know. I just got to, uh, uh, this is for the person who came into faith after they got married. Paul's answering question. Oh, there's a lot in the Scripture that really time doesn't allow us to. But there's a great deal in it. Uh, The atmosphere being created must be dominated by the Spirit of God. A lot of Christian marriages, although both are Christian, are not allowing God to dominate the atmosphere of their lives. So that even though they are both born again, their marriages are dominated by emotions, uh, anger, the past, pursuit for wealth and money. And so that the atmosphere in the home, which should be full of light, is actually full of darkness. Although both are saved and both are assured of their place in heaven. It's our responsibility to let our light shine. The reason why that instruction is there is that it is implied that some people have light but don't know how to shine light. You put it under a bowl, you hide it under a bed. There's light but it isn't dominating the atmosphere of your life. 
Now, toxicity and relationships that are toxic, so I'm dealing with relationship category two. I introduced seven last week. Uh, I, I'm, uh, beg your pardon, I'm introducing, uh, yes, I introduced seven last week. Uh, the, the idea of compromised, I beg your pardon, contaminated or toxic relationship means that the atmosphere in your heart and the atmosphere in your environment is not healthy. And I don't know if you've ever been into a space that is an unhealthy atmosphere. It's an unhealthy atmosphere so that it makes you feel uneasy. You're not easily felt welcome. Churches can have atmospheres like that, where people walk in and they feel, I'm not, it's, these aren't my people. If you've ever had a, got a tattoo and gone into a church space where tattoos aren't allowed, no one will say it. It's not on the vision statement. You know, love the world, hate tattoos. They don't put it on the vision statement. But it's in the room that your, your type of a thinker, maybe a back seat, if you don't mind, just there at the back, you know, with the unbelievers. Now, if you are in the back, I don't assume you're an unbeliever. I just assume you're a late believer. But... <laughs> sorry, sorry, the spirit of humor. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, someone came to me and said, you know, if this pastor thing doesn't work out, you could always do the Trevor Noah thing and do, do stand-up comedy. So thanks. But um, the, the atmosphere sometimes implies, then sometimes people create a different kind of atmosphere, that it is loving, but to the point that it is unhealthy in the way that that love is expressed. And I'll, I'll share some scriptures about this in a moment. There's actually a, uh, one of the uh, uh, symptoms, what's the term, one of the, the, the symptoms, the signs of a cult is a thing called love bombing. Have you ever heard of love bombing? So when people say, I love you, oh, I love you so much. I just love you. They text you and they tell you, oh, I love you very much. You're like a brother to me, like a son to me. You're like family. Oh, I love you. But if you do something I don't like, I withdraw love. And that way, churches sometimes fall into this trap. It's called love bombing. So that, I mean, I heard about this the other day. Someone said to me, oh, a friend's going to come visit from another church. They're a friend of mine and they wanted to come visit at Father's house, but they're involved in another church. I said, oh, cool. Then I saw the person on Sunday, last a couple of weeks. And I said, oh, did your friend come to the church? They said, no, uh, they, 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 their church told them they're not allowed to visit other churches. That's not acceptable love. You see, if we translated that into marriage or friendship, then what people are saying is, you can be in a relationship with me, you, can't, you just can't have any other friends. That's exactly the same, it's the same statement. And that's toxic, that's unhealthy. Would it be interesting to you to know that some of these toxic expressions happened even in the Bible? So I'm gonna take you to a scripture and introduce a good old Bible uh, church fight that happened in the Bible. And I feel better when I realize that even the apostles had fights. Because every now and then I look at myself and I think, oh, you know, you are not supposed to be a pastor. You, are, you get frustrated or you get agitated or you are annoying. I do not do say that to myself. Every now and then I say to myself, you are an annoying person. Uh, you, need to, you need to stop being annoying. Apropos to Ellen's comment on do you love yourself? You know, not every day, I think, is the answer to Ellen's question. Some days easier than others. But there's a passage of Scripture where a fight broke out. And I want to talk to you about that. Then I'm going to take you to four characteristics of a toxic thinker. In Galatians chapter 2, the following passage of Scripture 
takes place. When Cephas came to Antioch. Now, names matter, and you'll see why this one matters in a moment. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when he arrived, he began to draw back and separated himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And the other Jews joined uh, him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that what they were doing uh, were, act, were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, uh, who is also called Stephen, in front of them all, "You're a Jew, yet you are. Uh, uh, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you are forcing Gentiles to follow Jewish customs?" Now, let me give you the context of that passage of scripture. It might, it might be quite helpful. There was always this tension between Christians and Jews. You know, Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians, Gentiles, whether you should be circumcised or not. So there's a lot of tension about that. So, so Paul is visiting some Christians who, are, who were uh, Gentiles, but now they're born again. So they weren't Jewish before. They were uh, probably Greek. Very good chance, you know. And, um, and he was visiting them and ministering to them and he brought Barnabas. Barnabas, very nice guy. The, the word Barnabas means son of encouragement, okay. And, he, and, and he's first introduced to us in the Bible in Acts chapter 4. He saw people who had needs in the church and he sold a field and he took the money and he gave it to everybody. And then later on, Barnabas travels with them and it just, he, he never preaches. All he does is he encourages people. Do you know, we need a lot less preaching and a lot more encouraging in the church these days. Can we say amen to that? A lot more. And Barnabas is there and he's just the nicest guy and he's helpful and he's willing to take stuff out of his own pocket if necessary and he's helping people along and they, and, and they take him along because he's such a nice guy, makes everybody feel better about following Jesus. Good old Barnabas. And they're enjoying themselves amongst the Greeks too, although they historically came from a Jewish background, you know. And then Cephas comes to visit and they're a little unsure. What will my friends say if I'm hanging out with these other people? A little bit of classism and racism crept in there, you see. And Paul notices, he said, I wonder, you used to sit and eat with us, but now you've got your own group sitting at the back there. You don't eat with us, but you used to. What's wrong? And in fact, Barnabas, who's the nicest guy, got swept into it and he also separated himself from the people he had no problem with a few days ago. But now he's developed a bit of a superiority attitude because a person entered the room with a superiority mindset. He took even the nice guys and he separated them from their calling and put them in a corner at the back. And that transfer of toxicity happened from one person to the next and it happened right in front of Paul in front of the church. Do you know, one person can enter the room and bring toxicity into a space. And if you leave a place unled, if it is not led by the Spirit of God, if you leave it unled, you're going to have splits and separations and uh, sec uh, sectarianism and you're going, to have, uh, uh, you're going to have the spirit of superiority and inferiority come into play. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm bouncing around there on the screen. Um, I... I uh, I always used to get frustrated that 
big churches had reserved seats in the front. Just to irritate me quite a lot. I think, well, I mean, who are you expecting? 20, 30, 40 reserved seats. Even if the whole cabinet came, you know? First of all, that would be a surprise. Not the whole cabinet coming to church, just the whole cabinet together at one time. They hardly make it to work. But suppose... I'm very sorry, but I, I mean, I nearly lost a tire in the pothole on the way. I'm still getting that toxicity out of my system. If you guys are listening, can you go to work tomorrow, please? Really, all jokes aside, go to work. <laughs> and I used to get quite annoyed by it because oh, yeah, it's just it was the fancy people. I wonder if it's the people who give the most money or whatever. What's the rule? And then we landed up being a big church. And now I quite want the front rows reserved. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I haven't done it yet, but I'll tell you why. Because about a year ago, two years ago, three, five, I can't even remember. I mean, two whole years are missing. I, it, was, it was one of the years I only had one stalker. <laughs> I've got two or three at the moment. It's, it's driving me. We're at legal levels now with some of them. But I, I had one stalker, they had it in their mind that while I was talking, a stalker, somebody's convinced that God told them I'm supposed to marry them, you see? That while I'm talking, I'm sending out signals just to them. And I know it could be an illness, so I got shouted at by a therapist a few years ago. Don't make jokes about that because these people might have an illness. Okay, I accept that. But... They'd sit in the second row. Then I'd move. And during worship, they'd follow me. Then I'd move. Then during worship, they'd follow me. And one Sunday, they just started rubbing my shoulders during worship. I'm like, what? Is this, is something going on here that, am, am I in the twilight zone? I realized something. Now, I am not at my comfortable place because somebody is in the room that's bringing a spirit into the space. And then I realized, but wait a minute, I have a duty, a fatherly duty in the house to address that, resolve that, pull it back and sort it out. And I came to realize you can't accept a spirit like that. Even if the person needs help, rather get them help then allow the spirit to permeate. You don't accommodate disease, you heal it, set it free, bind it up and release it, but you don't accommodate it. Health doesn't adjust to make sickness comfortable. Sickness gets healed so that we are all healthy. And Paul confronted them. He said, guys, what you're doing is wrong. This is actually racism, what you're doing. You don't want to be associated with these people and yet you are actually living like these people. You're no longer practicing Jews. So why are you acting superior? Sitting in a corner. You see a spirit. There's another passage of scripture. I won't read it now because I want to land on these four bullet points. Uh, in 2 Samuel, there's a story um, about David. David was in a war. And uh, he had some mighty men around him. And business people, you, you just pay attention to this idea. Uh, he has some mighty men around him. And he makes a comment, just a flippant comment. He said, oh, you know, I would love to drink some water from the well at Bethlehem. Clean, fresh water. 
because he was in the war zone. And you know, I'm going to make some kind of joke now. Some of you are already laughing because I also would like to drink clean, fresh water. But, but the people aren't going to work. So, so I'm definitely in trouble after today. Hey. Um, but, but so he said, you know, it would be nice. And you know what the mighty men did? The mighty men said, oh, we love David. What we'll do, we'll sneak behind enemy lines, which is where the water is, and we'll go steal some of that water from Bethlehem and we'll come and we'll give it to David. And they come to him and they say, David, at the risk of our own lives, we got you this water because you said, I I would just love to drink some of that. Well, you know what David did? It's a well-known passage of Scripture. The Bible says he poured it out in front of them. And he said, thank you. Let this be an offering to God. But far be it from me that I should drink while you all can't. And you know, when Paul says, my life is being poured out like a drink offering, he was referring to that moment. He was saying, I don't take for myself if everyone else can't also. And you know, that's a business principle. If you uh, have an attitude where you are first in your business, you demoralise everybody in the room and they won't do their first for you. It's an atmosphere. It's a toxic Climate. I say to our pastors here, don't, don't create a church where you're served. Create a church where you do the serving. Every opportunity you can, get behind the coffee machine, make a cup of coffee. Offer to help somebody because the spirit of this house is that those who have, those who know and those who can are here to serve and to help those who don't know, those who don't ca- can't and those who don't have. That's our calling. That's our calling. And we could just as easily create an atmosphere where the, you know, the pastors and the apostles are served. But it happens all the time. I go preach in church, it happens all the time. You know, you, you, you want to take a seat and there are two people wiping it quickly for you. And you, you, you look for a glass of water and they bring you four choices, you know, different type of water, different room temperature. I mean, it's just like, just, that is not the atmosphere I feel we need to be creating in our house. I might work in another house, but it's just not the atmosphere. So in relationships, are you aware that just because you fell in love with somebody, it does not mean that the atmosphere they will create is going to be healthy. Watch out that if you fall in love with somebody and have what they call puppy love, never marry during the puppy love phase. You may land up with a dog's love. Okay, I think I went too far. I think I brought my PM jacket, which produced some PM results. I want to take you to four, four biblical signs of toxicity. The first sign is that when you're in a toxic environment, you're constantly encountering limiters. I have a car that's got a wonderful engine. It can go faster than I can make it go. Thank the Lord they put a limiter on or I would be employing all those people who aren't going to work at the moment. There is a limiter. And when you're in a toxic environment, limiters are constantly there. People are telling you, shh. They shut you down. Your opinion doesn't matter. You're not free. You have to watch what you say. That's toxic. Limiters are that only one person's idea matters. And that's the one in charge. 
That's a limiter. There is constant conversation. Think about the passages in Scripture, how the Pharisees mumbled amongst themselves and how sometimes they even said to themselves. A negative mumbling that sets the tone that doesn't allow anything to prosper is a bad indicator of toxicity levels. And we should not allow murmuring, mumbling to ourselves or to others that are crushing of the possibilities of what God can do. Don't allow murmuring and mumbling. Rather start speaking full of faith. Secondly, there's a toxicity. Uh, you can have a look at 2 Timothy 2 sometime. There's a toxicity that comes when things are always twisted and never quite told truthfully. Toxic environments skew things and never give you the whole truth. Proverbs 22 says, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. You will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. See, when somebody is a certain way and it's toxic, everyone has to agree. I think I told you the story the other day when somebody came to see me and we were talking about how to make a difference in the country. And I, I believe there is uh, only really one way to make a difference in the country, in any country. Uh, here, all those represented online. And that is when the people of God purge their hearts and call upon the power of God to reach the people of the world and bring them to a place of healing and redemption and revival. That's the only thing that changes the world is a great awakening. And it always has to start in the church. It starts in the church. You know, it's funny. People said, well, you know, I, I don't need church as much anymore. You know, I come once a month or so. And, and probably you're right. I don't know if you do or don't need it. I need it weekly. Otherwise, I'm not at my best. But maybe you do or maybe you don't. But I'll tell you what I'm sure of is that the world needs people who come to church every week to be on fire, online or wherever, however you do it, the world needs it. But somebody said to me, uh, do you know, uh, it's just getting worse and worse out there. This country and this place is just getting worse and worse. And you know, it's just gonna keep getting worse. There's not much we can do, but slow it down. I'm not accepting that as truth. That is a toxic statement. And if I begin to accept it, then I won't dream for bigger buildings. I won't dream for new programs. I won't dream for new ideas. What you've done is you have condensed the capability of my heart by putting a murmuring or a mumbling in it that is not publicly sound. It's toxic. Kick it out. Kick it out. You know, when people say, no one's going to love you like I love you, that's toxic. That's toxic. Let's be honest. When someone says to you, I mean, has anybody loved you as much as I've loved you? That's just, stop it. Let's stop it. Because it implies that no matter what I do to you, it's still the best you deserve. Thirdly, toxicity pollutes character. Is a polluter. First Corinthians 15 is perhaps the most famous scripture of all in this space. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. It just has a way of polluting things. That is just what it is. The atmosphere of things really truly matters. And I want to encourage you that if you find things constantly corroding, you need to put your trust in God to clean up the spiritual climate of your life and allow the light to outshine the darkness so that you can be free from that kind of toxicity. 
I don't blame you if you've been in it or even are the cause of it. But now that you know, you should be set free from it. The fourth thing that indicates toxicity is described as separation, the separator. It starts out in boyfriend and girlfriend type relationships when you have to cut off your friendships and it's just the two. And when you can't spend much time with your family because they don't like it. And when you can't have a hobby with friends because they're not there. Those kinds of things are all indicators of separation. When things separate you from what makes you who you are, it is toxic. You should be cheered and championed on, even supplied and supported. If you love doing that, I'll champion you on and I'll cheer you on and I'll even pack sandwiches for you if that's what you need to go. It's toxic when it separates. And do you know what Barnabas and his friends did? Their behaviour resulted in separating them from something so wonderful, which was a church gathering of multicultural nature. It was beautiful. And then somebody brought a spirit into it. And, they, and that created separation. Separation is a dangerous thing. When you feel isolated, usually there is a toxin somewhere in the system. When you feel lonely, there's a toxin in the system. When you feel like nobody cares, there's a toxin in the system. And do you know perhaps what's the most dangerous of all of that? Sometimes you are the most toxic person you know. Oh, that was a... For me personally, I've spoken to professionals several times over the years. It doesn't take much to tip me over on certain topics. I made the joke the other day, a comment the other day about how wonderful it is to have so many married pastors with kids in the front row. I made a commitment to see that because I felt like people thought I don't respect marriage. And I do, I think every one of you should be married. It just isn't necessarily for me, but I, I can cheer it on. So somebody sent me a link from a pastor who wrote a, a blog that pastor, senior pastors should never be single. They said, what do you think of this? And that was all I needed to be my own toxic person. For five days, I mulled over it. I think they're right. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should just go out and preach, you know, not be, not pastor a church, just go out and preach. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. So I bounced the idea off a friend. I said, you know, I got this email and maybe they're right, you know, maybe they're right. They said, sorry, who wrote it? Otherwise, I'd probably check who wrote it. I go check who wrote it. Nazgar got fired from his last church for being so rude to women. His wife nearly left him. They went to therapy for five years and he's been allowed back into ministry. I'm just wondering how heavy your pen really is when you're writing a vlog like that. Should you not maybe prioritize how to repent and recover as your vlog and let me work out my own salvation with fear and trembling? Thanks very much. I'm just saying, that's quite a, that's like, oh, but I'll tell you what trumps all of that. Jesus called whom he calls. 
Who me calls? And I said to the friend who sent me the email, do me a favour, could you name one of the 12 apostles' wives? Wach noch. It's a bit rude. It's a bit rude, but we, we, we did go here. I close with Philippians 2. I have more to say, but we've got a few more weeks and we're way over time. We're at the point where you guys might, might think we've run into two services. Philippians 2 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but of the, uh, to the interests of others. Do you know, the cure to toxicity is this. You are not the most important person in your life. Jesus Christ is. God first, me second, serve the world in humility. And then I can't get toxic because toxicity is anchored on the following idea. Make me happy. That's what toxicity is. Don't have friends make me happy, toxicity says. Don't do that, it doesn't make me happy. And while it is so centred in that way, it is so terribly unhealthy that to be free from toxicity is to say, Jesus, God first, me second, serve the world. Can you say amen to that? Would you stand with me as we pray? I'm confident that at some point we're going to get the length of the service right. Please, please be patient. Do you know there are 500 people watching live online right now? If everybody online were in a building, we couldn't fit them in. That's a revival right there. I'm believing God for it. I want to pray for you, especially if you feel there's something toxic wedged in you or in your atmosphere. Pray that God will break it and set it free. Can we do that? Just Just a minute, if you don't mind, just a minute. And then, and then that great coffee I keep promising and the blood bank. Lord, thank you for the work of your spirit. Our upward relationship is so resolved in the cross, but our outward relationship is being resolved by the spirit. Today, Lord, we pray that you'll clean us, purge us, uh, detox us, purify us from the, 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 the particles in our soul, in our spirit that wedge themselves there that are pollutants of the spirit and the soul and the body. Would you please purge us of them. We, we rebuke in the name of Jesus, murmurings, babblings, negativities, destruction. We uh, rebuke in the name of Jesus uh, uh, those one or two pollutants that come into the space and they shift the whole room. We will not accept it. We will only be shifted by the Spirit. We will be led by the Spirit forward into health, into wholeness and into redemption. We pray, Father, that You'll purge our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus so that we can be uh, 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 transformed by the renewing of our minds. We thank You, Lord, that we will not have contaminated relationships. We will be healthy and we will produce health in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, would you give God one last shout of praise and worship? And-